before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Do you want to know about crimes and cases that you haven't heard anywhere else? Are you interested in the stories of missing people and unsolved cases? And do you love UK true crime? The Unseen is the podcast for you. Every fortnight, I, Caprice, take you through the stories of those that have been forgotten about, the stories that deserve attention, no matter how little we know or how long ago they happened. Everyone deserves to have their stories told. You might not already know the cases, but you won't forget them. Find The Unseen on all platforms wherever you listen. I can't wait to have you with us next time. Hello, friends and enemies. Hello, BD Wong. It's time for Perhaps It's You, your absolute favorite unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. My name is Liz. My name is Samantha. And we're here to depress you by talking about the original Robert Stack episodes (laughs) of a real classic, a real tentpole of American television, Unsolved Mm -hmm. Mysteries. I really wish we did a podcast about anything else today (laughs) because I will be starting us off and it's so sad. It's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't even... we why didn't we have a cartoon rewatch podcast? We could be talking about Bots Master right now. We could be talking about literally anything else. We could just not even have a podcast. We could be doing anything. Wait, else. what? <laughs> Is that a possibility? We didn't record on Sunday and I watched a cemetery tour and I went to an amazing estate sale. And it was only like two by the time that was done. And I was like, huh, this is what having a free Sunday is like. If you don't have a podcast, what a lovely world to be in. <laughs> it's easy to forget what that's what that's like, but it really is lovely on a spring spring day. It felt so luxurious. Mm hmm. Well, anyway, here we are. I do. Have, <laughs> I do have a couple updates. Oh, good. One is a very important update, which is that we have some new shirts, and they're really high fashion. Oh, this is you're going to see this on the runway, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I think Prada is going to be stealing these looks for themselves any second, possibly because I originally stole this idea from Little Nass, (laughs) who made a t-shirt that said something like, I watched the little Nas video and all I got is a lousy t-shirt and now I'm gay and love Satan or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, that's hilarious. That guy's grasp. I mean, I realize he's only like 12 or 21 <laughs> or whatever he is. He's a little baby. Basically his, a, a child. A child. But his grasp of like trolling as marketing. It's a thing of beauty. No one internet's better. I and would... Yeah, it's just so good. And he knows how to use the internet in a way I'll never understand. Yeah, it's just an extension of his being, really. Uh, Yeah, so witty, so hilarious. I wish him only the best. But anyway, I saw this shirt and I went, that's hilarious. 
I love that people told him that he was going to hell and he was like, all right. And so then he made a sexy music video about going to hell. And then everybody was super mad about that. So then he made a t-shirt <laughs> about how the, watching the music video would make you gay and love Satan. That's amazing. And I was like, well, doesn't our podcast also make you love Satan? But I didn't know that I could claim that our podcast makes you gay. I mean, maybe it does. Let me know. I would love to know. But I hope it has. I like. I would be very honored. I would be proud. But that's not something I can confirm at this time. So I decided we needed a t-shirt that said, I listened to All Unsolved Mysteries and all I got is this lousy t-shirt. And now I'm a huge bitch and love Satan. <laughs> Which seemed like a more accurate reflection of our brand. Mm-hmm. I agree. And probably we've helped someone become a... Maybe not. Maybe they were already a bitch, but then they became a huge bitch. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, you guys, I don't know for sure, but I'm confident in asserting that we've helped someone re- achieve their bitch potential. And I'm proud of that. We've helped someone level up. Like, yeah. it's, anyone can be a bitch. But can you be a huge bitch? You might need this shirt. That's what it, I'm It takes saying. some special talent, and I, I really feel like this podcast is helping people get there. So if if that's you, get this t-shirt. Yeah. And if our podcast has made you gay, I'm happy to make a, a different version of it just for you. That'll oh, take yeah. me we like... To please. It will take me like two minutes. So... <laughs> because it's literally words. <laughs> it, it is a lousy t-shirt. But you're going to want one. I mean, mine came in the mail today. I got literally the largest size. It's humongous. I'm so happy about it. I just want to wear it and stretchy pants until I die. I don't want to wear anything else. I'm sure my husband is very excited. (laughs) My all... Oh, man. No, it's glorious. Someone asked... So I originally made it in white because that's what the little NAS t-shirt is. But guess what? Maybe you'll wear a white t-shirt for a little nasty, but in general, no one wants a white t-shirt. So that also did come in gray. But then people pointed out, Liz, I'm kind of a slob, which I myself am. I spill food on myself like every day. Need a darker shirt. Don't worry. I made those then. (laughs) And then people were amazed me by actually buying them. Very quickly. People were like, yes, I will take three and I'm buying them right now. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) I am a huge bitch. I do love Satan. And I need that on a t-shirt. And that t-shirt should be purple. And I was like, okay. So all of those people are now my best friends. I give them all a five out of five Robert Stacks. If you have that shirt, I mean, bless you. You're amazing. And you're a fashion icon. (laughs) I also then... Asked, is there any other random nonsense people would like on a shirt? And someone suggested a hello, friends and enemies shirt. So we now have one that says, hello, friends and enemies, and also BD Wong. (laughs) So if that is an item of clothing that you need in your wardrobe. I realize BD Wong might not really be on Twitter. I need BD Wong to like retweet. Okay, I only somehow recently found out he's on Instagram, and I don't know why I've been living under a rock. You sent me an Instagram post from his Instagram, and I was <laughs> shook, and also did not know how I haven't been following him this whole time. Yeah, he how posts- am I not 
only following like i should be following one person and it should be bd wong i don't know why i bothered to follow anyone else also i immediately learned yeah he posts some good pics also yeah, he, i'm about he, to clean out my instagram feed it's gonna be bd wong and that squirrel and that's it what else do you need nothing uh and i learned that he can knit and he's been knitting since he was like five years old so he's super good that's hot we're basically soulmates yeah I did tag him in a post about the shirt. So maybe his like assistant's assistant will see it. Hi to them if they're listening. Hello. Please let BD Wong know that we dedicate every single episode to him. Please. I think he might. His response to that might be like, do I need a restraining order? <laughs> Not sure he'd be pleased about it, but whatever. It's flattering. It, I would be flattered. Look, I might also be a little scared, but in a good way. That's just, look, it's the double-edged sword of fame, Samantha. We're going to have to deal with that when this podcast gets huge. <laughs> we don't we don't have to deal with it now. We can shop and, like, walk down the street anonymously, but that's going to change. Soon, paparazzi will be swarming any time you leave the house. We've only been doing this for six seasons, but it's coming any day now. <laughs> you know, free mattresses, free earbuds. Well, the mattresses and- are going to be piling up pretty soon. <laughs> So many of those underwear subscription boxes or whatever the hell, uh, all that stuff. Uh, those, yeah, things you need to cook <laughs> that show up at your house. Chores. You know how you can, like, subscribe to get chores delivered to your house? Um, oh, well, but what I need to tell you is that obviously now you're like, well, Liz, I need to buy both of these shirts. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> you can go to perhapsitsyou.com. Look under merch for the link. What you should not do is go to Teespring and search for us that way because then we get less money. I didn't know that. So don't do that. Definitely go find our link. (laughs) Yes. Then they take credit for the sale. Oh, Teespring. F you. I know. It's kind of a scam, but whatever. Well, it also means for us, so fine. <laughs> Why? It also means I don't have to figure out how many of what size of I listen to Perhaps It's You and all I got is this lousy shirt and now I'm a huge bitch and love Satan. <laughs> it would be hard to predict what sizes of that shirt we needed and how many, considering I didn't think anyone would buy it. Right. Except myself. <sighs> but that's where we are. Okay. My other update is that the other day so I have insomnia. It means that sometimes I really procrastinate on going to bed because it can be so boring. And the other day, my procrastination was I decided to clean out the perhaps it's you inbox. (laughs) And wow, I don't think we ever did that before. (laughs) So my apologies to you if you've ever emailed us and we never got back to you. Something that's definitely happened. A hundred percent. But I mean, is anyone good at email? I don't know. I, I mean, kind of think no. Things just got lost in the shuffle sometimes. Clearly, like, one of us would read something, think the other one needed to read it, and then nothing would happen at all. <laughs> I am most sorry that I think we might have skipped a couple of your paranormal stories. That I'm going to have to do some forensic digging and see if there's any 
good stories that we haven't read on the air. If you're like, oh, Liz and Samantha didn't think my story was good enough, that's probably not true. It was probably in the wrong folder. Well, the problem with the paranormal stories is we never wanted to read them ahead of time. Yes. Because we wanted to be surprised and read them together. But I think that means that we've sort of... maybe forgot to flag them because you uh, you forget those emails are there and then other emails pile up on top of them so if it's not carefully cataloged and flagged and put in a folder which i'm just not that organized i don't know that anyone is sometimes they (laughs) they might get lost it just means that we also don't know if we missed one because we've never read them before we read them on the show so there's your incredibly scary story just sittering lingering in the email box because we don't even know it's there yeah so i have my apologies i'm going to take i'll have to re-listen to the listener stories episodes and then take a good hard look at our inbox and see if we missed anything but um i I, those people have probably quit listening they got so mad but you have my their story yeah okay did you have any updates my dear nope yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it's uh it's a weird tense time here in Minnesota and Samantha's just driving away on a motorcycle. She's like, I've had it. I'm out. Sorry, a really loud motorcycle just went by. Well that actually fits into our first story, which involves a lot of motorcycles. I but I'm gonna actually I'm gonna warn you right I now. Think I just drive by my house. I thought when I saw the little thumbnail of this on YouTube, I was like, ooh, good, a biker mystery. We're going to have great fashions, and we're going to have some hilarious phrases from Robert Stack, and this is going to be so oh, fun. There's going to be so many denim jackets and big hair. Yeah, I, yeah was, I thought the same thing. I was pumped. Uh, it turns out this story is depressing as hell. I hate it. I watched it, couldn't watch the rest of the episode because I was in like a depressive slump. It's a bummer that this episode sucks because there's an iconic mustache in this episode that we've been waiting for mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we'll get to it, but it's, it's, it's momentous. It's a momentous it, mustache. It really is. Our, 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 this podcast, it's like a foundational mustache to this podcast. It's, this is a big deal, people. It's very important, but this episode sucks. This, this first... is no magic rock, which is disappointing. No. It's, it's, it's doing a disservice to this mustache. I'm kind of mad about it. Also, I was not wrong about the biker fashions. They rule. Unfortunately, <laughs> this mystery is so sad that I'm like, do I even want to live on this earth? Maybe I should get sent to the moon. <laughs> and also not wear an oxygen mask because I don't want to be a part of this. Okay, let's go. I'm going to try to do justice to this. This is our first story is a missing person. This is the Amy Billings case. And this is season six, episode 13. Oh, yes. Thank Did you. Did we say that? Probably. No. So we are somehow already on season six, unlucky episode 13 that I hate. And you can watch it for free on YouTube. And I think I just said Billings, but it's Billing. Amy Billing. So Robert Stack starts off by telling us thousands of people are reported missing every year. Most come home safely within a few days. There are those who those who do not are eventually presumed to be dead. Wow. What an uplifting message, Robert Stack. Thank also, you. Robert Stack, how dare you? You don't presume these people are dead. You presume they have amnesia and are just wandering around out there somewhere. <laughs> you don't presume anyone's dead. If we, if we have no body, they've got amnesia. That's actually extremely true. It, he should have said those who did not are eventually presumed to be wandering around <laughs> With amnesia, quote, lost among the homeless, end quote. Okay. 
But um, this is a, a specific missing persons case. Amy Billing disappeared in 1974. Yet there is, quote, a convincing chain of evidence that she is still alive. Mm, not sure about that. And it is the str- one of the strangest and most provocative cases we have ever profiled, says Robert Stack. Which is true, because I really... Originally watching this, for most of it, I was like, this is bogus. This is made up. I don't believe any of this. This is fear-mongering. Yeah. This is like, ooh, biker gangs. Ooh. That's exactly what I thought until literally like the last second of this segment. And then you go, oh, shit. This might have happened. I hate the world. I don't know if there's a term for a panic, pre-satanic panic that's like biker panic. It's the but- same thing with like... Well, I guess that was Satanic Panic. I was going to draw a line between Dungeons and Dragons, but that's Satanic. It kind of it kind of loops into it. But yeah, clearly in the late 60s, 70s, people got real concerned about biker gangs and how they were going to come to your affluent suburban community and just raise hell. And they were going to be so badass that you wouldn't be able to handle it. And they were going to buy and sell women. Yeah, and they were going to be comb in their hair with one of those switchblade combs and you'd be like oh no they're so rebellious and i thought oh this is the silliest thing but we'll see there might be something to this so amy was 17 when she disappeared from her home in coconut grove florida she was already an accomplished singer and musician she was also a poet and a vegetarian that last part kind of plays a factor in this so the day of her disappearance she was supposed to meet friends for lunch she called her dad after getting home from school don't exactly understand the timeline there um to see if she could borrow some money and in the arachnid she is using the most amazing purple purse and i want it this whole kitchen is purple i was gonna ask you what you thought <laughs> no. about this kitchen like the it's backsplash really is purple cute. the walls are it the purple are purple it's amazing Actually, there's several settings in this, and I don't know if it's their actual house, but there's another one where they're in like a, I don't know yes. if it's a sun porch, but it's got like floor to ceiling windows, this beautiful forest behind them. I know. It's, it's amazing. stunning. Fucking HGTV is my nemesis. That channel is sponsored. You'll notice half of the commercials are from like realtors because they encourage you to do all these things that will very slightly may increase the value of your house so that realtors can make, you know, a bigger cut. And they decided, oh, everything should be all white and beige at all times. <laughs> and then we don't get value. Cool That's what- <laughs> shit like this. And it makes me so sad. Oh, yeah. They had like a, a rust and red shade carpet yeah that's like a cute sunset? little circle yeah it looks like a sunset oh. with this cute little circle coffee table i loved it These i want a room s- just like that had style they had preferences they weren't just talking about resale value they were actually enjoying their home that they lived in anyway total tangent so amy was supposed to swing by her dad's office to borrow a whole two dollars for her lunch she never arrived by dinner time her mom was worried enough to call one of the friends she was supposed to meet, and her friend was actually quite angry that Amy had never arrived. This was clearly unlike her. Uh, it doesn't seem like Amy was a flake. Amy seems like she was a reliable person. There is a mustache on Amy's brother, which is very puffy. Oh, also, he has... I'm sorry, Amy's brother, but he has this horrible braid <laughs> over one shoulder. <laughs> Look, he was Look, probably proud of that braid, but uh. it's it looks scratchy, and 
there's a lot of split ends. I don't know. <laughs> it's not great. So that whole look together ended up called the Oh Yikes. <laughs> and I don't feel great about it, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> and then, yes, we see this reenactment in this amazing 70s living room with a sunshine type shag rug. That's beautiful. But moving on. The family soon got a phone call. I think they set up an anonymous hotline for Amy's disappearance. They took this very seriously. They did not try to tell anyone that Amy just went off to start a new life. Thank Christ. So the family soon got a phone call from someone claiming to be in a motorcycle gang known as the Outlaws. The most generic name of a motorcycle gang I've ever heard. (laughs) Try harder. And they claimed that they had taken Amy. Or at least the person calling claims that someone in the Outlaws, which seems like it's a very large gang, had taken Amy. And at this point, Robert Sack tells us that during the 1970s, renegade biker gangs unnerved communities across the United States. Oh, renegade? no. Nothing worse than being unnerved. <laughs> someone, please get them under control. Their vehicles have two wheels instead of four. I cannot handle it. Um, yeah, anyway, what a, what a menace to society. It's also so funny now because motorcycles are now, they used to be like an affordable mode of transportation and somehow now are like really oh, it's just dentists. Yes. I was going to say everyone <laughs> with a motorcycle now is like an orthodontist. Yeah. So the, so the idea of them being like these actual like criminal troublemaker types, you're like, I'm pretty sure that guy fit me for a retainer. Like <laughs> I'm not that worried about him. Also, I did seriously used to, like, chomp on the fingers of my orthodontist totally on purpose. Just, like, really, really bite into them. Did Why? not Because like, I Were did- they mean? You were just trying to fix your teeth. Oh, I hated that guy. Actually, I, hated I didn't him. have a very good orthodontist experience either because I was always getting in trouble for not wearing the rubber bands. Who wears those things? I, don't I swear even no why. I think that he I thought he was just a creep. I liked his assistant. His assistant, I did not purposely gnaw on their fingers. <laughs> but that guy, wherever he is, driving his gigantic motorcycle, F that guy. He's just got a hole out of one of his fingers, just like a You know what the thing is? It must have happened all the time. He didn't even flinch. <laughs> People were biting him all the time. <laughs> uh, so again, we gotta go back to the story. Okay, Amy's mom finds out that the outlaws had, in fact, been passing through Coconut Grove around the time that Amy disappeared. They happened to have a family friend who had done legal work for the outlaws. I guess he was a lawyer or maybe a paralegal or something. And he arranged for Amy's parents to meet two gang members. Okay, this is This so reenactment. <laughs> See, I wish the story was not so sad because this reenactment of this woman being absolutely terrified to let these men into her home because they have like leather vests and haven't gotten haircuts is very funny and she's honestly like i had never seen people like this before in my life so she says this is what she literally says about these people that she had a a feeling of revulsion and hate and love at the same time wait why love because she was really hoping that they would be able to lead her to amy okay but literally, she sees, yeah, just like two, lady, have you ever been, like gone to a bar or like? No, I don't think so. Or I'm Certainly to... not a bar with anyone like this. Or I don't know. a ba- She's uh, been to a Chili's. 
What about like an an outdoorsy store <laughs> or I don't know a, a state fair? Where else? <laughs> where else might this woman have encountered some bikers? I don't understand why she's so afraid, but I guess it's just a different time. Amy's reenactment dad, not her real dad. Her reenactment dad had a mustache that I called for some reason. Forgot I wrote this down. Papa Egghead. <laughs> Do you have an egghead? I don't remember. I think he did. I'm guessing from that name that he did. I mean, it would be kind of strange if he didn't to give it that name. Okay. So these bikers come over that she's that and Susan, Amy's mom, finds them absolutely repulsive and apparently wants to puke on the carpet. <laughs> but they tell her that they haven't seen Amy. But the bikers do take girls and trade them with each other for things like credit cards, which is probably the worst thing you could have told that woman. It probably would have been better to say, like, oh, yeah, she's dead in a ditch. Yeah. So they good. took they took Amy's picture and they said they would show it around and let them know in, a two, in two days. However, they never had any info. And the reenactment shows the two biker guys leaving and the, fr- the like, mutual friend who helped them out just shrugging like, yeah, I don't know. Like, ugh. Then we hear from a guy from the sheriff's office who tells us that women are abducted by biker gangs, so watch out, and used to make money. <laughs> These are the ways, apparently. Topless dancing, sex work, and petty theft. I don't know what to make of this, because it seems like one of those things that is completely absurd and probably not true. But then, I mean, we'll talk about what is known of what happened to her. Yeah, I, I guess I don't. I was like, this is not true. This is scare tactics. Also, you can't kidnap me and then make me go to work. It's like, <laughs> you kidnap me and then it's like, all right, Liz, you dance topless in this bar. It's like, okay, I definitely won't call anyone from the bar. Like, <laughs> that's not going to work. You can't. Whatever. Um, anyway, Robert Stack tells us to many bikers, women or as they called them, old ladies, were nothing more than property. I, I, They all need to take, a, according to Robert Stack, everyone in a biker gang really needs to take a women's studies class. Feminism is not uh, infiltrated the biker set as much mm. as you would like. Mm. As much as you would like. <laughs> yeah. We now See, but now we hear from Gina Andrews, who was apparently abducted by bikers at the age of 12. She was sold four times before turning 13. She escaped five years later. That's all we hear of her story? Sounds fucking awful. Yeah. Okay, so upon hearing that the outlaws were now in Orlando, Susan goes there to look for Amy. After asking hundreds of people if they had seen Amy and showing them her picture, a convenience store clerk recognized her and said that she had come in numerous times, always escorted by at least two bikers. She was memorable because she had always bought vegetarian soup, which Amy was a vegetarian. And it also makes sense that probably not a lot of people at that convenience store buy a can of vegetable soup. Yeah. that's You're not like driving around in your car hungry, but like, oh, I'll just pick up something to eat. Like a can of cold soup, right? That's probably not what most people buy. So I, I believe that the convenience store clerk would remember her. That makes sense to me. Um, however, that didn't lead anywhere. The trail went cold. And it was another year and a half before Susan got another significant lead. On what would have been Amy's 19th birthday, Susan was contacted by a biker who claimed to have owned Amy at one time. What a fucking strange phone call. 
to claim and be like, call up and be like, yeah, so I heard your daughter's missing. I used to rape her. Oh, uh, thanks for uh, calling. So uh, I hate this. He agreed to talk to Susan, but only at his house and only if he picked her up on his bike. Why? What? Susan, don't do this. Don't do this. Let her call a taxi. I don't understand. However, thinking that she literally might never see her family again, Susan got on the back of that bike and went to she did not know where with a man who had just claimed that he had repeatedly raped her daughter. It's a strange reenactment and an even stranger situation. So she goes to this guy's house. He's clearly like super paranoid and he's always looking out the windows and stuff. It's a very ridiculous reenactment. But what it comes down to is that she ended up believing his story, even though the guy was clearly a wacko, because he knew that Amy had a hidden scar that the family had never divulged to the press or the police. He said that he had left Amy and a bike with his friend in Detroit and that he was going to try to get in touch with them. And then in an extremely relatable moment, Amy's mom says, I wanted to kill him. I wanted to tear pieces out of his skin. Very relatable. Yeah. I feel I was like... I agree. And that's not even my child. And I want to do those things. So this guy reported back that Amy was now with the outlaws in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Despite the police telling her not to, Susan decides that she's going to go there to find her. Uh, I can understand why the police told her not to do this. And I also understand why Susan was like, well, you haven't found her. It's been years. You've accomplished nothing. Like, I can sit here and wait. Or I can go see if these people have my daughter. So she goes to Tulsa to meet this creeper that she went to his house. She's taken to a biker bar, but shortly after she arrived, this huge fight broke out. She was rushed outside and thrown in a cab that seemed to be waiting there for her. If Amy was anywhere nearby, she never saw her. She never saw her contact again, but she later heard through the grapevine that both of his knees had been broken during the fight. So it seems like people were mad at him for talking to her. His last tip was that Amy might now be in Seattle. Hmm. So Susan goes to Seattle in 77, two months after having a heart attack. Susan, you need to slow down. I know. I know you really want to find your daughter. I know. It's a lot. So she is literally just wandering around Seattle showing Amy's photo around bars and tattoo parlors and like motorcycle dealerships. Several people recognized Amy, but didn't know where she was. She was always described as extremely quiet and some people asked if she was mute that is relevant later so 18 months later an anonymous caller claimed amy now missing for five years was at a remote truck stop outside of reno the caller said that amy needed help because she had beaten was beaten and drugged however when authorities got there there was no sign of amy this poor family to be put through this over and over again the, the news is always like the worst thing ever is happening to your daughter. Oh, wait, you can't do anything. Just that on repeat. Yeah, that's horrible. Okay, so years passed. Then in 1992, now 18 years after Amy disappeared, Susan was contacted by Virginia Snyder, a private investigator. She said that she was working with it. This is so weird, everyone. Hold on. She said that she was working with an investigator in England who had been approached by an American biker. Okay, so the reenactment is an extremely, like, funny-duddy Englishman wearing, like, seriously head-to-toe tweed 
is at a like P.O. box place. And so he's going to get his mail. And then this gigantic skinhead looking dude wearing a leather jacket walks up to him and is like, hey, you look lonely. I've got a girl for you. Just out of nowhere, apparently. And this guy, being a private investigator, tried to get some more information out of him. And I was like, oh, yeah, where's she from? What's she like? I'm very intrigued by your ridiculous and illegal offer. Well, this skinhead guy said that she was from Oyster Bay, which was Amy's place of birth, and also described her as mute, something that several witnesses had described her as before. However, when this guy asked, do you have a picture of her? Which I guess if someone is just randomly offering to sell you a woman, you probably would want to see a picture of her. That biker guy was like, eh, never mind. Like, this is too much trouble. And he walked off. So that was all the information he could get. But he relayed this to his private investigator friend in Florida in case that related to any missing people cases. And this woman thought that this could be Amy. Unfortunately, one year after this strange encounter, the British investigator passed away, so we don't hear from him. That's kind of the end of the segment. And I was going, I don't know that I believe any of this. There's a lot of fear-mongering around sex trafficking by people that actually just hate sex work, and you'll hear a lot of ridiculous, bogus information. Samantha and I have been told numerous times that women are being sold out of ice fishing huts. (laughs) On frozen lakes. <laughs> and goes around ev- true crime groups on Facebook. Fortunately, I've purged my Facebook of these groups. And so my yeah, life is yeah. better for it. But yeah, every winter in Minnesota, you get this meme where women are being bought and sold out of ice houses. If you're okay, okay. people who live in warmer, nicer places than here, an ice house is a house or like a shed. Like a shack. It's okay. it's barely anything. It's just four walls and a roof. It depends. Some people get real serious about their oh, ice houses right. and have it, electricity and TVs and shit. That's not normal, though. More, usually it's just a shack on, an, on a frozen lake, and you drill a hole in the ice and you fish. And this is where people think women are being bought and sold. Just it's the not, idea not that happening. you would have to walk out on a frozen lake. Think how exposing that is. So you're like walking out. There's literally nothing else around because it's a frozen lake. And then you're kidnapping someone. It just doesn't make any sense. If this has been debunked so minutes. many times. It's the same meme that goes around about people being sold in Walmarts. It's just not happening. It's not happening. No, there, there, there is, unfortunately, human trafficking. usually it's associated with labor um but there is sex trafficking and of course that's like the scariest most awful thing you can think of but there's a lot of yeah like scare tactic-y memes when we had the super bowl a few years ago i saw a lot of information about oh my goodness sex trafficking spikes during the whatever city has the super bowl it's out of control no what actually spikes is sex work and that makes perfect sense because suddenly you have all these tourists in town yeah it's not the same thing and it, these memes make like suburban moms freak out that they're going to be snatched and sold on a, on a frozen lake or something and, and nobody, nobody's just... willing to tell them that they're too old and nobody <laughs> wants to snatch them no, it's just not gonna happen no it's not so that's what i was more thinking 
when I started watching this. However, we get an update. In a deathbed confession, a former member of the biker gang that kidnapped Amy said that she had been drugged, raped, and killed soon after being abducted. Police were able to verify some details of the biker's account. Okay, so that's what Unsolved Mysteries tells us. That's terrible enough. There's actually more information on Unsolved Mysteries wiki. We have two possible suspects. Unresolved, according to Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, following Amy's disappearance, her family received multiple harassing phone calls from a man who claimed that she had been held captive by members of a sex ring. Oh my God, what is wrong with people? He tormented Susan for over 20 years, often calling her through pay phones. However, in 1995, he used a cell phone to make harassing calls, and FBI agents were finally able to trace the call to a man named Henry Johnson Blair who worked for the U.S. Customs Department. He claimed that his obsessive compulsive disorder and alcoholism caused him to harass Susan. Mm, No. Oh, my God. Can you make 20 years of that? But eventually, technology was able to trace phone calls. So he claimed that he never knew Amy and basically that he's just the worst person. I I don't... uh, Oh, my God. Anyway, he claimed he had never known Amy. He was sentenced to a two-year prison term for harassment and lost a suit to Susan, who received a $5 million settlement. However, despite claiming not to know Amy, he is considered a person of interest in the case. In one of Amy's photos, there is a white van that is identical in color and model to one that he owned in 1974. Also in her diary, she described a man named Hank who wanted to take her to South America at the same time Blair's job as a customs agent was sending him to Argentina. Interestingly, his nickname is Hank. Officially, he has not been positively linked to her disappearance, and he proclaims his innocence. So that's suspect number one. Then we have what was referred to on Unsolved Mysteries. In a deathbed confession in December 1997, Paul Branch, a former member of the Outlaws, claimed that she had been drugged, raped, and killed at a, quote, party within hours of being abducted. He claimed that her body had been thrown in the Florida Everglades. Police were able to verify several details of his, her account. Or his account, sorry. Her camera was found near Wildwood, which would have been en route. The outlaws took traveling north. Despite the confession, her remains have yet been found. However, some, however, believe that the confession was made up by Branch's wife for publicity and money. Amy's brother, Josh, has also doubted the story's credibility. Sadly, Susan passed away in June 7, 2005, at the age of 80. She searched for Amy for over 31 years. Wow, that is even worse. I know it's it's so tragic and terrible. Either one of these scenarios is really like the worst possible scenario. It's so awful. She was seventeen. She was just trying to go to lunch with her friends. She had her whole life ahead of her. It's really I can't imagine anything worse. This poor family. Yeah, it's awful. It's terrible. And it's I don't know why Unsolved Mysteries subjected us to this, but. Maybe at some point we'll get a little more clarity and I don't know. Ugh. There's a, there are some more articles about this case, but from what I've seen, it mostly covers information that, that we've already talked about. I, I'm also just so mad at someone willing to make these phone harassing phone calls for 20 years. These people that's, just wanted to find their daughter. That's really awful. <sighs> 20 years. Oh, my God. Anyway, this... 
really depressed me. So I'm really starting to doubt that this podcast was a good idea. <laughs> have to agree. All right, I'm next. Tell us about some lost heirs, Samantha. All right, we have a lost heir. And unfortunately, I mean, this isn't that interesting. I don't know. This isn't a reclusive corset maker. This is... They can't all be. This is just kind of a boring dude. (laughs) Sorry, Walter Rice. So we're looking for the lost heirs of Walter Rice. 73-year-old Walter Rice lived in a small trailer in McCormick, South Carolina. He rarely talked to his neighbors. He pretty much kept to himself in the final years of his life. No one knew him very well. Doesn't seem like he had any family connections. At least not that he told anyone about. At least he didn't want any, it doesn't seem like. Yeah, exactly. So on January 25th, 1992, he took a cab home after his car was damaged in an accident. Later, in 1992, Walter's utilities began to get shut off. And his mail was also returned by the post office. They started to do a, like a return to sender thing with his mail. What no one knew was that Walter Rice had died from a heart attack that evening in January, and it would be over a year before his body was discovered. And this is, oh, I forget how Robert Stack even described it, or was it an investigator who described like the rude awakening that two, so two people broke yeah. into his trailer because it looked abandoned. And so these two people broke in and when the, when they did, they found Walter's badly decomposing body by the back door. Uh, Two months later, one of the assailant's girlfriends went to police, and on April 5th, 1993, Walter's body was removed. So, I mean, I feel like I've become so reclusive in this past year that this may be my fate. I mean, that's terrible. Ugh. Um, I feel bad for these two people that found his body, and I feel bad for Walter. While breaking into his trailer. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't break into a trailer, I guess. <laughs> but also, I like you can kind of imagine this moment where they're like, okay, we need to tell someone about this body. But also, we were breaking in. Yeah. So It took them two months. Apparently, they told their one of their girlfriends, and then she went to the police. I mean, it was weighing on their conscience. Yeah. So probate judge Ronnie Kidd investigated the case and tried to find... Uh, Rice's relatives. While looking through his trailer, he found that Walter had a fortune of about $145,000, but no known heirs or family members that he could find anywhere. Kid could only find some information about Walter. He learned that Walter was born in Ju- on July 6, 1920 in uh, Abeville, South Carolina. He never married. He had no children, but he had several brothers and sisters. Pay stubs show that he worked as a a cook at a hotel in Essex, Connecticut from 1973 to 1983. During this time, he lived virtually without expenses in uh, either dorms uh, or with hotel employees. Yeah, they Uh, had some sort of employee living thing. Yeah. And I guess he just ate his food there. I, I guess. I, I guess. So Kid also found that he had a passport with several uh, locations stamped in it. Um, finally, he found that Walter had visited two hospitals, one in Augusta and another in Apeville. Um, at the Augusta hospital, he listed a niece named uh, Jane as a next of kin. However, there are no official records of a Jane Rice in South Carolina uh, or Georgia um, at the Abeville Hospital, he listed a man named James Edwards as a next of kin, but this person uh, is actually a neighbor and not related to him at all. 
None of Walter's heirs could be located. In a 2007 article on unresolved cases in McCormick, investigators stated that the social security card found with Walter was actually fraudulent. The birth certificate, which listed Mm. his being born in Abeville, also couldn't be verified as the the hospital had no records of him being born there at all. And the passport led them to the CIA, who refused to comment. Oh, okay. This is a little more interesting than I thought. Investigators actually can't even confirm that Walter Rice was his real name. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, that's all the information that there is. Um, on February, In February 1995, three years after Walter's death, all of his money and inheritance was given to the state of South Carolina because no heirs were ever located. See, this is why you need to write a will. Because then you could at least say that the money goes to the library. You can give it to a cat. I mean, you could do... (laughs) You could give it to us. You could give it to us. You could give it to, like, a museum or... I don't know. I would be mad if just, like, the state got my money. Yeah, it is kind of a a bummer. Um, I want to know more about him. He seems like maybe he was a mystery man or something. I think he... I was thinking he like definitely didn't want contact with their family, his family, and maybe they were a bunch of jerks. But now I'm wondering if he couldn't contact his family. Maybe. Like he was in witness protection or something. Yeah. But why would the CIA not comment? I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Because they're jerks. Who knows? Well, could be. <laughs> okay. I have another missing persons for you. This is the case of Oliver Munson, a school teacher with a passion for fixing up cars who lived in Baltimore. In January of 83, he got, quote, the car of his dreams, a fully loaded Datsun 24OZ. Everybody just keeps referring it to as a Z car. So that means anything to you. (laughs) Um, Little did Oliver know that the car had actually been stolen three months earlier, and he bought it from Dennis Watson, who was the head of a major car theft ring. Dennis Watson ran an auto shop that was really a cover for a chop shop. Some cars were stripped for carts and others were sold with false paperwork, such as the one that Oliver bought. For weeks, authorities had been building a case against Watson. On March 16th, 1983, they decided they were going to finally arrest him. So they raided the place and the police discovered fraudulent paperwork, partially dismantled cars, and stolen vehicle ID tags. Some of the paperwork that was on the premises was from Oliver Munson's recent purchase, which is how they got in touch with him. The police, unfortunately for him, confiscated his car as part of the investigation. Munson was notified that he would have to testify as to how he bought the car and that he thought it was legitimate and stuff like that. He was apparently nervous about testifying, which I don't blame him, and was supposed to occur February 16th, 1984. However, three days before this, Oliver was seen leaving for work at 8 a.m. and was literally never seen again. Um, This is what brings us to the mustache, the MVM that Samantha was so excited about. The MVM of MVMs. We've been waiting for this. We named it so long ago. And it's finally come on this Mark Twain looking motherfucker who was <laughs> Oliver's coworker. It's Lip Curtain, everyone. Lip Curtain. I feel like I needed to have some music prepared or something. Da, 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 da! It's Lip Curtain. I forget who even called our attention to Lip Curtain, but Someone it was like season it. one. Yeah. It's so big. He's and been it, referred to not by his name. I don't even know his name, but he's just, uh, he is Lip Curtain. 
who cares what his name is? He has a mustache that covers his entire top lip in a sort of gray Muppet kind of way. <laughs> it reminds me of a sheepdog. It, it is a little sheepdog. It's like the hair that hangs over a sheepdog's eyes and you wonder why the do- can the dog even see? Yes. It's, it's, like, that, it's that only it's over his lip. Can he like, even can talk? He, can he even eat? Can he even drink? Isn't that mustache in the way? Anyway. Do you think he combs it? He ha- he must. Because otherwise it's going to have like stuff in it. It's going to get tangled. It's going to have soup and I don't know. Other delights. Okay. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> It's going to have snacks in there. Okay. So back to the case. The next day, Oliver's brothers, James, came to the house to look for him. Sadly, he wasn't there. Police were notified he was missing and immediately suspected kidnapping or homicide. So the brother, James, also has a mustache. It's kind of unusual. And then it's like thicker at the ends. I'm not actually sure I've ever seen a mustache like this. And if it wasn't after a lip curtain, it'd be pretty remarkable. It's called the barbells. Okay. So this was not the first time that something had happened to a witness in a Dennis Watson case, which maybe they should have warmed Oliver about. In 1973, Clinton Glenn was burned to death in a car registered to Watson. He had been scheduled to testify in an armed robbery trial the very next day. The other witness in that case died of a suspicious drug overdose, and the murder charges had to be dropped. Since there was no evidence Watson was involved, the case involving Oliver's disappearance stalled until police heard from a Hilton Solomon. He was driving by, just I don't remember where, and he saw his previously stolen car, which had actually been taken hours before Oliver's disappearance. Inside the car, they found a hat that they believed to be Oliver's, and then they seemed to just give him the car back. Okay, here's another example of the police were like not good at their jobs. This guy literally found his own stolen car, calls the police and is like, hey, this is my car. Can I like have it back? And they're like, whoa, we're going to need to process this. So they take it for a while. They go, oh, maybe this is Oliver's hat. They give it back. Well, when this guy gets his car back, he finds that there are some receipts in it that are all of they're like old time receipts that you write out with a carbon paper. They're from a video store. They're literally made out to Oliver. That seems important. Also, there's a dark bloodish stain on the floor of the car that the police had not examined. And one shell casing. That's not important. Probably they nothing. literally had this car to process for evidence and didn't notice that stuff. They just Probably noticed the hat. Up. Someone spilled something. Oh my goodness. Unfortunately, there's no record of Oliver's blood type. So the police couldn't match it. So they literally did nothing. Good thing we have them around. Um, also weirdly, Oliver's absence had basically no effect on the trial. Watson pled guilty and was sentenced to 10 years. He ended up serving five. I don't know why my computer is making that noise. He ended up serving five. He was paroled in 1989. There is no update. From Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, this is unsolved. In 1985, Oliver was legally declared dead, the victim of, quote, presumptive homicide. His body has never been found. However, some believe it is hidden somewhere in Leakin Park. I have no idea what that's based on. Unfortunately, the blood found in Hilton's car was determined to be too deteriorated for DNA testing. Also, Watson's current whereabouts are unknown. So, he's probably under my bed. (laughs) Just waiting for me. (laughs) 
Probably not, but better check just in case. You know how basically every episode of Forensic Files is solved? Like, that's how they make the episode, right? But every so often, Forensic clears someone, and they'll be, like, watching it really late at night, and it's like, oh, so they don't know who killed all those people. <laughs> they're probably so outside my window they, right now. <laughs> they're probably what? Actually, the ones I really hate are the peeper ones. It oh, seems yeah. like... Maybe I've talked about this before. It seems statistically unlikely that I'm going to get serial murdered. But peeped on? Mm, more likely. Mm, much more likely. Okay, Samantha has the last case. And this one's going to be pretty quick because, frankly, I hardly remember it. This Same. is a lost love, though. We're looking for the mother of Meredith Atkinson, who is Rose Marie Lutmer. Meredith Atkinson is searching for her birth mother, Rose Marie Lutmer, who gave her up for adoption more than 50 years before. During the 1930s, Rose Marie and her family left Texas due to the Depression and moved to Oklahoma. In 1938, she was in Paul's Valley for a cotton harvest. Um, at this time, she was unmarried and pregnant, and when she could no longer work, she sought refuge at the Home of Redeeming Love, which was a shelter for unwed mothers in Oklahoma City. Can you imagine, like, working in a field pregnant pregnant i can't even imagine being pregnant and like laying on my couch <laughs> i know so, the re- no <laughs> the reenactment they said i don't she was working like 16 hour days or something ridiculous and they show this extremely pregnant woman like hobbling in the field and i'm just like oh my god i can't no this i can't poor imagine. woman what a horrible circumstance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Meredith was born um, at the home of Redeeming Love on July 16, 1938. And Rosemary, at this point, had no choice but to give her up for adoption. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. What? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is a horrible situation, and this, it was her only choice. So Meredith grew up in Oklahoma and Texas, the only child of her adopted parents. She was not told that she was adopted until 1990, um, 52 years after oh, she was adopted. Oh, but the way they phrased it was that a relative told her. And I wrote down, do you think that relative was supposed to tell her? <laughs> that didn't cross my mind until now. Maybe because not. They, they didn't say her parents told her. It sounded like it came out. I want to know the story behind that. I know. Fascinating. There's probably some juicy goss there. So um, 52 years after she was adopted, on August in August 1991, she returned to her birthplace to look for clues about her past. She found her birth certificate, which listed her birth name as Mary Ann Lutmer. She learned that her mother was of Irish and German descent and that she had one sister and four brothers who were all field workers during the Great Depression. Meredith and her husband returned to Arizona. Several months later, they received a letter from the home that Rosemary had written um, in 1940. She asked um, the home to send her a picture of Meredith. At that point, Meredith realized that Rosemary did care for her and had thought about her often. She yeah, now, I mean, that. I mean, of course. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Was, I don't. <laughs> she was a victim of circumstance. I mean, it she had no choice but to give her up so it of course makes sense that she thought about her and still loved her she was having trouble even feeding herself i mean a lot of people were during the great depression right. so you don't want to inflict that on a child yeah so she wants to find her mother and unsolved mysteries tells us that she wants to tell her that she understood the situation that she was in and wants to uh, tell her that she forgives her um she's been searching for her ever since 
So there's a little bit of confusion about um, her name because some sources listed her name as Ledbetter. Um, so her mother's name could be Rosemary Lutmer or Rosemary Ledbetter. Fortunately, this case is solved. So a private investigator named Glenda Allen was watching the broadcast and called Meredith. Glenda agreed to take on the search, and just one month later, Rosemary, now 78, was found. Um, though she had been in failing health for several years, she was anxious and happy to hear from her long-lost daughter, and... Um, in September of 1994, Meredith and her two children traveled to Arizona, uh, from Arizona to Philippe, Oklahoma, uh, to be reunited with Rosemary. At the reunion, she was also able to meet several aunts, uncles, and cousins. The reunion is really cute because you can see her tell her mom that she's actually a great grandma. (laughs) And it's so sweet. They're so happy. Um, and I'm going to spoil it by saying that Rosemary passed away on July 23rd, 1998 at the age of 82 and that Meredith died shortly after on October 18th, ah. 1998 at the age of 60. Ah, so sorry, but I think they were at least reunited. It was very sweet. Okay. But the segment ends on the most awkward moment where she's like, is it okay if I call you mom? And she goes, no. And then that's it. <laughs> And she just like laughs like awkwardly like ha ah! and then they just like freeze it. That's how Unsolved Mysteries decided to end that segment. Somehow I had checked out at that point. I was so over this episode. I don't even remember that. No. I mean, just, she was like, no. Okay. To be fair, this woman is quite elderly. I think she knew what was going on to a degree, but maybe she wasn't fully comprehending that question. But she really did just go, no. And then the woman just like laughs like, no. <laughs> the end. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. So there we go. Season six, episode 13 comes to a awkward close. <sighs> We're done. Yeah. Yeah. Let's rate this beast. Okay. Mysteriousness. Actually, pretty mysterious. I really wish we knew what happened to Amy. And I wish... I could murder and rip pieces of skin off whoever did it. That would be nice. We also don't know what happened to Oliver. No. There was never any heirs of Walter Rice identified? Was Walter in the CIA or what? So very mysterious. Thumbs up. Reenactments? I mean, okay. I'm conflicted about this. These biker reenactments are hilarious. They shouldn't be, though. The story is very sad. It's true. I think I still have to say thumbs up. I think I still yeah. have to say thumbs up, but I, I'm probably going to hell. We already knew that. I, this is fine. an objective rating system, Liz. Objectively, the reenactments were good. You're right. Thumbs up. <laughs> this is the most scientific and objective rating system yes. in existence. Yes. We're scientists. Yes. Okay, fashion? I mean, objectively, <laughs> again. Uh, amazing. I think good. <laughs> amazing. I love big hair i love a leather vest i love a woman frowning i love that i love the fact that fashion can be so powerful it can unnerve someone to their core (laughs) that just based on what these people were wearing this woman was like ready to faint the power of that is incredible very powerful thumbs way up yep and robert stack uh unremarkable yeah I feel like as the series goes on, he's like kind of checked out a bit. Is that fair to say? I think so. I think so. I don't know that he really cares so much. He's just like, let those <laughs> let those checks cash. I got <laughs> I got yachts to buy. 
You'll find me on the yacht having the yeah. threesome. Yeah. Thumbs Drinking uh, with a dry martini in each hand. He's in his foyer. Yeah. In his gentleman study, drink smoking three cigars at once, I assume. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Sideways. Right. Who an- cares? Another objective rating system is our Robert Stack scale from zero to five Robert Stacks. Where do you put this one? So, remember when someone said that our podcast made them want to die? <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt about this episode. It yeah. kind of made me want to die. I feel so bad for Amy and her family. It merely makes me wonder if the human experiment was worth it at all. Is that good? Is that bad? I think that's bad. That sounds bad to me. <laughs> yeah, why would I even ask if that's good? It's clearly terrible. Um... Is that a re- that's is that a reflection of the quality of the episode though? I mean, this is the yeah, problem. We see, never really clearly see. defined how we're rating these. <laughs> it was based on like whether we would want to watch it again, whether we would show our friends. I mean, I mean in that case, on- no zero. Yeah, negative but it's not, twenty. It's not Robert like says. terribly done. I think I'm gonna give it a two. Okay, I'm never watching Fine. it again. It's probably gonna haunt me. Yeah, I agree. <sighs> poor. Well, Amy. it's over now. We'll never speak of this poor, one again. Poor Amy. I hope her ghost is strangling her assailants while they sleep i hope so too peeling off their skin if that's possible what a what a thing to say on television i love it so much i wanted to tear off pieces of his skin i was like yes i relate to you now woman that can't have bikers in her home we understand each other oh so sad so sad Okay. Well, it's over now. We'll throw that one in the pile with the orphan train. Alcatraz. Never speak, of, never speak of it again. Oh, I would like to thank my uh, friend Megan, our resident librarian, who hilariously sent me a sticker from Alcatraz. <laughs> so that will be going in our shadow box here. It's a nice little decal of one of our least favorite segments. And you're thinking, I like that segment. And then I ask you, are you a dude? Because I'm guessing you're a dude. Yeah, maybe there are some women that love that Alcatraz se- segment, but I'm guessing it's kind of like The Godfather. It's a s- small portion of the fan base. But what am I going to recommend today? That's the real question. That's our little palate cleanser. We'd like to end the episode with some recommendations and also pretend that we're influencers and that we're going to make millions of dollars like <laughs> Toddy Westwood. Just putting on makeup in our homes. Oh, what a delight that would be. No, I'm recommending a book that Samantha also read. I'm recommending Broad Strokes, 15 Women Who Made Art and Made History in That Order by Bridget Quinn. So this is actually, this is a nice short read also, which I appreciate. And there are pictures, which you don't always get in books intended for adults. (laughs) But, um... This is sort of a response to, if you have taken an art history class, you might have noticed that very few of the artworks you learned about were made by women. I'm specifically talking about Western art, but um, the, the, the span of time where women have been allowed to enter art school is actually pretty small, and women's contributions to the arts have been buried and overlooked for a long time so if you take a art history class you probably will get a textbook called the world history of art or something like that by jansen anyway so um that woman was taking studying art history she was studying to be an art historian and she noticed that there was only 16 
women mentioned in that gigantic book. And she told she mentioned that to someone, and I said, "Ah, oh, that's a new edition. It used to be zero. <laughs> wow, what an improvement!" So uh, she took it upon herself to write a book about fifteen women. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting that this book is a very like personal take. It's not very academic. It's not very lofty. It's like female artists that she's very passionate about and that she wants to like share that passion with you. And I think that's a good approach. It's not saying like these are the 15 best or like these are the only 15 anyone should care about or something. Yeah, for sure. It's like here's 15 that have made an impact on me. She talks a little bit for each one, like how she became aware of their work and stuff like that. And then you get some life history, you get some anecdotes, you get like an explanation of their work and like why it's meaningful and like what effect that had on the art world and stuff like that. I really enjoyed reading this. It was nice to read something more lighthearted. I thought it was educational and I, I thought it was fun. Um, it did have some artists I wasn't really familiar with, so I did learn some things and there are just like interesting tidbits and factoids and it's not dry like a art history book you would read for school so i did really appreciate that i picked this out to read because i was interested in reading something about art history and i noticed when this came up on like goodreads or amazon i noticed that it had mostly very good reviews and then a handful of one star reviews did you look at and them? i did look at those one star reviews and they were all old biddies complaining that the book contained swearing <laughs> And then I went, That's how you oh, know it's good. this is the book for me. I will absolutely <laughs> be reading this, I said. And I uh, ordered it from the library immediately upon reading that. From those reviews where these people were scandalized and they were like, this woman doesn't care about art or she wouldn't be cursing. I thought this book was going to be like, sit down, motherfuckers. This is the best goddamn painting <laughs> you ever saw in your goddamn life. There's probably no. like two swears in it. There's not even that I many. Think- I think one of them is badass, which doesn't even count. You can say that on TV. <laughs> so old biddies, calm down. Yes. This and also to say this woman doesn't care about art when this is such a like passionate book. Ridiculous. But uh so no, there's not nearly as much swearing as if, say, I had written the book. But um that is why I picked it up. <laughs> what did you think about it? I loved it. I listened to the audiobook. I didn't realize that it was illustrated and that there was photos. And I, I regret, after I had gotten uh, the audiobook, okay. I regretted not reading it. But I did enjoy the audiobook. The narrator was really good. And I enjoyed hearing my favorite part about the book, which I loved it all. But my favorite part about the book was how she described each painting. Um, or each yeah. work of art. They're not all paintings. How she described them. And also, there were there was some... Where you could clearly tell that if you looked at this through a female's perspective, through a woman's perspective, you saw the painting completely different. And yes. hearing that described, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. It was almost, she's a very good writer too. And just her describing these paintings is almost poetry. Like it was, it's really beautiful yeah. how she, how she does it. And she's extremely gifted and also very well educated in the arts. So I really enjoyed it. I do wish I had had read the physical book and, you know, maybe I, I won't rule out getting it, but I, I, li- I really liked it. I will say my least favorite thing about the book, and I have the physical book that I got from the library, is that for each artist, there's a full page illustration of that artist. It's on by, I don't know who, but I don't like them at all. Oh, you don't? And No. And sometimes the 
the artist's actual work is like kind of small. So I was like, I wish we had used this full page. <laughs> Maybe I don't regret listening to the book then. <laughs> their actual artwork. I mean, if there's stuff you're curious about, you can just like well, that's look what it I up online. Yeah, that's yeah. what I did. I Google. I I did a lot of googling while I was listening to the book. Because not enough of these images are like full page would be my complaint. Mm. And then we have these like illustrations that I'm like, what? These aren't very good. <laughs> but um, otherwise, I really enjoyed it. It's a very enjoyable read. You could really do it in like a Sunday afternoon. Be a pleasant time. What is your recommendation, Samantha? So I actually have recommendations kind of related. We're on theme. This, Ooh, this time that never happens ever i know i'm recommending a documentary on netflix that i think is new this is one of their limited series which i found to be kind of hit or miss some of them are good some of them are super boring yeah absolutely um, this one i really liked travis and i just finished it i think there's four or five episodes and it's called this is a robbery the world's biggest art oh, okay yeah okay i haven't watched this yet but i've been meaning to i think you'll like it so this is about the 1990 robbery of the isabel stewart gardner museum in boston this is considered the world's largest art art heist uh because of how many and how like influential um of the paintings that were stolen Mm -hmm. and this is i i the reason i wanted to recommend it so we enjoyed it a lot and i think our listeners would really like it because this is quite a mystery there are a lot of twists and turns this reminded me a lot of the better episodes of the unsolved mysteries reboot like the way it was done um the way it's laid out the the mystery aspect the music is like I don't know. I kind of I kind of liked it. It's, it's a little bit weird, but I kind of like it. The mm. whole thing, I really enjoyed. I guess I don't even know what else to say about it, except that I really liked it. The art is beautiful. The museum itself is stunning. There's this beautiful, like, uh, I don't know what they call it, but it's this open area in the middle that's just like a jungle of plants. I've since followed, oh, sure. followed them on Instagram. It's gorgeous. You should look it up. Um, so it's well shot. It's really beautiful. It's laid out in a way that makes you, like... I don't know. It's almost by the end of it, you almost feel like these paintings are like living things that have been stolen. <laughs> the way it makes you care about, yeah, about the yeah. art that is just gone. Um, and well, I, I love an art mystery. Me too. And a, a heist is like we've read a few mm. books now for our book club about like different heists. We read that museum heist book, The Feather Thief, and I just think I really like a heist mystery. I don't know the twists and turns, the mysterious aspect. No one died. Like, well, actually, yeah. it's not quite true, yeah. but oh, <laughs> less death. There's, it's not like a brutal murder, you know. Like, I don't know. As far as mysteries go, I really enjoyed it, and I think lovers of mysteries, which I assume our listeners are, <laughs> um would really find the series enjoyable um yeah i absolutely need to watch that that sounds great i didn't expect it to be quite as um mysterious as it was well if anybody has any other art history related art heist recommendations obviously we're interested i'd love some art heist book like nonfiction book recommendations because after we finished that series on netflix i went on goodreads and i looked up art heist books and there's plenty of them but none that really like drew me in and made Mm -hmm. me want to seem like i wanted to pick them up so if anyone has a specific recommendation i'd love to hear about it and we do have a facebook group for talking about books so maybe you want to be in that that's called perhaps it's you that wants to see what book i'm reading yeah um yeah also as much as i appreciate a night high story uh stealing art from museums is rude 
I don't condone that behavior. That needs to be in the public eye for everyone to see. Now it's going to be in some like rich person's house and no one else will get to enjoy it. Rude. Go rob a bank. (sighs) Anyway. (laughs) You know how I'm always like telling robbers who listen to our podcast. There's a lot of them. Hi, robbers. Um, I'm trying to like steer them in the right direction. I understand the temptation to steal a beautiful work of art, but that should be for everybody. You know what I, and I don't want to spoil anything about the documentary, but one thing that I found that was really interesting was obviously the question that comes to mind is why, like, I realize these are priceless and worth a ton, you know, they're worth a ton of money, but it's not like you can just sell. So one of the paintings that was stolen was uh, the only seascape that Rembrandt ever painted. It was super famous. It's not like you could just like walk up to someone and sell them that um, because obviously like, hey, they're going to have- know it was stolen. <laughs> like, you have millions of dollars on you to buy some stolen artwork. Well, see, yeah, you you have to have an in with someone that's going to want that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's not like you can display. So it's like who would who would do this? Who would who would steal villains. it and why super, super villains super or villains, so apparently one motivation to steal art for some people don't know if it was the case in, in this in this case is that you could use the art as a bargaining chip so if you were gonna go down for some mm. other crimes you could say hey in exchange for a lighter sentence i've got this rembrandt <laughs> and it's worked it's worked for people and that is another motivation why um, crime bosses or like some people have stole, you know, might steal art. And apparently this was specifically a thing with Rembrandts for some reason, um, is wow. that people would steal them and then uh, use them as this bargaining chip. <laughs> it's hard to beat that name recognition. You it's know? true. <laughs> this is true. So, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything about the documentary, but that's something that is, I'd never even considered that, but that's something that's put forward yeah, as either. a possible motivation. Okay, everyone. I think that's going to wrap it up for today. You should follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our Facebook groups are really the only reason to still be on Facebook. Pretty much. We've got a website, perhaps it's you.com um we've got you should send us your spooky stories something paranormal that has happened to you i promise i will read it it was at <laughs> perhaps you podcast at gmail.com our inbox is organized now what else samantha you can give us some money if you've got a little a couple dollars burning a hole in your pocket you can go on patreon.com mm-hmm. uh search perhaps it's you you'll find us we've got a catalog of bonus episodes that is only going to cost you a dollar a month to access i mean it's such a deal it's the best deal in town a few more dollars will get you things like a coloring sheet every month they're pretty awesome some goodies Sticker. mailed to you every quarter I just, for people, some people that are at the highest tier, I just sent out your rewards today. So they will be coming soon. What you get is a surprise. Um. Oh, and did you slam that subscribe button? Did Do you us a solid and slam that subscribe button. How's your finger? Broken? If not, we need you to slam that subscribe button. God, I hate, I hate it. I hate saying it. <laughs> And don't forget that we have these amazing t-shirts. So go to perhapsyoutube.com and look under merch so that you can let people know that you are a huge bitch and that you love Satan. You're going to want to broadcast that to the world. Yeah. Someone said they were going to wear it everywhere except work. And that's pretty awesome. That's the type of person I want to (laughs) know. I'm disappointed if you're not wearing this on a work Zoom call. (laughs) 
I'm like, what does your shirt say? And what is perhaps it's you? It only gets like worse the more you explain it. <laughs> anyway, all right. Thanks, everybody. Keep barking. Bye.